Welcome to 24 Hour Expert, where we challenge each other to see what we can learn on random topics in just a day. I'm Allie. And I'm Amy. Let's see what we've learned. All right, Al, are you ready for this week's topic? All right, Aim. Probably. Well, I will make a little bit of a pre-announcement because I think there's going to be some weird noises on this episode because my husband and I just recently got a puppy, as you know, and he wants to be part of the episode. So if you hear rustling or random pitter-patters, we're doing our best over here, Um, but he feels the need to be very involved. So this is my disclaimer now. Oh, well, he's so cute, so we'll allow it. Yes. Yes, we will. All right, let's dive in with this week's episode. So this week's episode is on Antiques Roadshow. Oh, fun. Yeah, so I am a big fan of Antiques Roadshow. I have been for a very long time. I just find it to be a very soothing show. And on one of my recent you flights. You are like the what? queen of soothing shows. Your great I British am. bake off, your antiques. You are a 97 year old woman trapped in a 30 something year old body. I'm not even ashamed of that, frankly. I find that that is really my sweet spot is like the same sitcoms on repeat or calming television that has anticlimactic happy endings. There you go. Yeah. Nothing. It's not good or bad. It just is. It's right because then you get to learn about the funny antique things. You get to hear a little bit about history, and all the people on there are just delightful. Like they're not out for money, although we do have some scandal in this episode. So. Oh, scandal! You know, no murders. In fairness, oh. I didn't Google it, but scandal okay. nonetheless. All so right, fine. From this ninety-seven-year-old woman to all of our listeners out there, let's learn about Antique Roadshow. So, Antiques Roadshow. Started as a British television program broadcast by BBC in which antique appraisers travel to various regions of the United Kingdom, or in our case, we're going to be talking about the United States. Maybe you're just British. I I just feel like maybe I missed my calling. No. Sorry, Um, sorry. Go on. (laughs) But... I lost my place now because I'm thinking about how delightful I would be British. Like, I would have the coziest coats. And wear all the florals. I don't know why I think that's what British people do. I'm sure they don't. But that would be my aesthetic. It's my aesthetic now. I don't know who we're kidding. Onwards. So, essentially, local people bring in antiques to be appraised by professional appraisers. The show has been running since 1979. Whoa. And is based on a 1977 documentary program that inspired it. Just carry on. The series has spawned several international <laughs> the series has spawned several international versions. So North America, Europe, and other countries with the same TV format. In um, Britain, the show is hosted by Fiona Bruce and it's in its 45th season. Wow. Yeah. So it is very popular. Obviously, that's a long-running show. It is a long-running show. So Um, Let's do just a little bit deeper dive, and then I'll give a little bit of an overview of the American version. So the program began by BBC. It started as a documentary, aired in 1977, about a London auction house doing a tour of the West Country in England. The pilot roadshow was recorded in Hereford on the 17th of May in 1977 and presented um, by contributor Bruce Parker. 
He was the presenter of the news and current affairs program called Nationwide. And antiques expert Arthur Nurgis, who had previously worked on similarly themed shows called Going for the Song. The pilot was so successful that it was transmitted in the format that it has remained in since, meaning that it hasn't really changed much since 1977. Why mess with perfection? Agreed. So that is the British version. The American version's history is not nearly as rich because obviously we copied it. For the American Roadshow, it's the same format that you'd see in the uh, British programming. The program features local antique owners who bring in items to be appraised by experts. So same concept. However, we actually carry it around the country. So although the British version does it as well, we've covered a lot more ground. It's also brought a lot of recognition to cities that maybe would have had not as large of a profile. So cities like Billings, Montana, Bismarck, North Dakota, Chattanooga, Tennessee, all of them have hosted the Antiques Roadshow. It started in 1997 in the United States, has been running ever since. Oh, wow. That's a decently long time. Yeah. So it's been on the air for quite a while. Can I throw in a story? Yes, always. So I participated in a mini local version of Antiques Roadshow. I think I remember this now that you're starting to say it. So... The city that Amy and I grew up in has a historical society, and I don't think they still host this event, but I used to sit on their board, and one of the events that we supported was basically like an antiques roadshow. We would rent out a space in the community, and appraisers, local appraisers, would volunteer their time, and people would bring in their items, and they'd appraise them, and... The people paid to have their items appraised, which went back to the museum that we were supporting. And I always volunteered to sit with the jewelry guy. Well, one. Always. He was such a nice man, and we would just chit-chat if we ever had a slow time. Although he rarely had a slow time, because everybody wants to bring in jewelry. He was probably the most popular. But one of my favorite things that happened was this woman brought in... Not quite a choker, but a very high-sitting necklace, not a dangling Mm -hmm. necklace. That was probably half an inch thick that she thought was costume. (gasps) Turned out it was solid gold. Stop it. He had his little gold testing kit with him. So he tested it, and then he kind of made this face, and then he tested it again, and he said... This is not costume. This is a solid gold piece of jewelry. Was she shocked? So shocked. And I forget what the value was, you know, at the time he told her. I still think about it every once in a while. And, you know, if you're walking around an antique store or an estate sale or something or a garage sale, you're like, oh, people think it's costume. Is it real? I always think of this. Oh, my gosh. Well, good for her. That makes me so happy. Yeah. And I think it was jewelry she inherited. She had brought in multiple pieces. And most of them, yes, were costume, very nice costume, but this one was not. There you go. That's a good place to start. Yeah. So there's my little only experience with anything similar to Antiques Roadshow. There you go. I like it. I think that's a good example of why it's so fun is just it's fun to learn new things about either antiques or just what you have in your house. Or some of these people have just found random like garage sale finds. And then get them appraised and they're worth, you know, $500,000 or something insane. 
oh yes, or you know, I've seen online a guy opens a trunk in his grandma's attic and has an original like Navajo blanket in it or something, yes. you know. Yes, those types of things. That is why I watch Antiques Roadshow. Because don't get me wrong, some of it's not that exciting, right? Like I think Antiques Roadshow has its moments where you're like, oh, riveting. And then other times you're like, eh, okay. But then when you get to the really cool things and they talk about what the history of it would be, I find that so fascinating. Yes. Yes. Or the random right. people who have a random piece of famous artwork. And like, oh. Right. Well, I wasn't sure if it was real. And it was actually in the back of this frame that I bought at this whatever or that my grandma had. And she put my finger painting on top of it. And then I found like an original Picasso. And you're like, what? Must be nice. <laughs> Must be nice. So we do have some fun facts because then we can talk a little bit about how rare some of these things really are. But obviously Roadshow does a good job of picking them out of the audience. So a couple more history facts before we dive into some of how it's run and who all works on it. So during 2005, the American version had the Antiques Roadshow FYI, which was a half hour program, and followed the fate of the items that were appraised in the parent show and provided additional information on antiques collecting and if they were sold. So if someone came in and it got appraised and they said, oh, I, you know, I think I will sell it or, you know, I'm going to keep it, it followed up with them, but then also gave a deeper dive. It didn't stay in production for very long, but it did exist. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. So they, we've had several hosts throughout the year. The British version had much more stable hosts where our version had a lot that moved through so some stayed for one season to four season one of the ones that shocked me most was that good morning america's correspondent laura spencer hosted the season from 2004 to 2005 and the longest running american host was a show host called mark l Wahlberg, which is hysterical because it's not the same mark Wahlberg that i think you think of (laughs) um but he hosted from 2006 to 2019 oh wow and coral penna is billed as the narrator now rather than the host and has been narrating the show since its broadcast in 2020. All right, then. So just a little bit of host history, but let's talk about the appraisals. So about 70 appraisers work at each tour stops. The thing that I found most fascinating about this is that they are all volunteers. So Antique Roadshow does not pay them for their services, nor does it compensate them for their travel. Really, the only thing that Antique Roadshow gives them is food while they're on set. And the appraisers are not allowed to buy or sell any of the things that they appraise. So even though that's their business, they're not allowed to essentially keep things on the up and up. That is interesting because if I'm not being paid and I'm doing my own travel, you would think that I could at least, maybe not on camera, but do some business. Sure. I I do know that they get their name out there and that many of them have successfully had other people say, oh, well, you were an expert in Civil War memorabilia. I use that because that's what's up next. But essentially, like, you're an expert in this and I'll come use your services. I didn't really find if they couldn't do it well after the show. Like, if you appraise something in 2015 and someone came to you in 2020, would you be allowed to buy the item at that point? I would have to think there was probably a time period on it, but it didn't specify. Okay, okay. So there's really only three producers for the show on site. So it's all, you know, PBS funded material. They circulate with the appraisers to find the best items. So really the appraisers 
play the role of not only appraising them, but also determining which objects of the thousand that show up typically is worthy of filming. So they also are able then to talk to the other contestants and obviously are not limited to what they can do with people who don't make it on the show. So that's a good thing. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. So there's also the fact that this also gives the appraisers the opportunity to say, hey, we think that this item would be great to be on the show. But then from the time that they've selected it in line to the time that it's on the TV, they can actually do some additional research before they're appraising it. So it gives them an opportunity to say, we know this item is of value, but let us dig up a little bit more history to share on the show, which is also what I really appreciate, right? Because it's not just like, oh, we pulled you out of line and we think it's worth $5,000. They've put a little bit more thought into being able to present that when they get filmed. That is interesting because just going back real quick to the one that I used to participate in, most of the vendors, if not all of them, probably all of them, showed up with books and reference materials and look stuff up as they were working with people. So that makes sense to me to budget in some time to do that. Yeah. Well, and if, when you think about the magic of television, like that makes that so much more enjoyable for the viewer, but also probably saves the people there a little bit of time. Because I know not very many get selected, but it's nice to know that they are giving you that additional detail. Yes. Agreed. Let's talk about some Antiques Roadshow scandal. Yes, always. So, in 1999, a jury awarded the descendant of a Confederate Army General George Pickett $800,000 judgment against military artifacts dealer Russ Pritchard III, who appeared on Antiques Roadshow, for fraudulently undervaluing Pickett's memorabilia, purchasing the items, and then reselling them for a large profit. At the time, Antiques Roadshow producers decided to keep Pritchard on the show, believing that the jury award did not have an impact on his ability to appraise items on Antique Roadshow. In March of 2000, however, revelations that both Pritchard and George Juno, another military artifacts dealer on Antiques Roadshow and appraiser and business partner of Pritchard, had, let, had staged a fraudulent appraisal in 1997. So that's what led the show to actually sever ties with them. In March of 2001, the two men were accused of using their Antiques Roadshow appearance to establish a reputation as American Civil War experts on artifacts and memorabilia, making phony appraisals designed to lure unsuspecting owners of Civil War antiques to do business with their company, subsequently defrauding their victims of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Both men were indicted in March of 2001 on charges of wire fraud, mail fraud, witness tampering, and giving false testimony. Additional indictments followed as other fraudulent activities came to light. Juno pleaded guilty in 2001 and Pritchard on December of 2001. Both were sentenced to prison terms in 2002. Wow. Yeah. So essentially they said, hey, we are the utmost experts in Civil War memorabilia. Come to us. And we'll help you and we'll buy your stuff. And then they essentially were saying, oh, this is worth $100 and then selling it for 10 I mean, I'm making those numbers up. But right. the the gentleman who was awarded $800,000 against them, that's imp- impressive. Wow. That is just absolutely despicable. I know. It's just too much. Also, it makes me kind of sad that like 
you're taking advantage of history in that kind of case, right? Like you're just leveraging the fact that people trust you to know what you're talking about and then you're doing whatever you want with it. But also you have no interest in helping it find like the best home or like taking good care of that history, you know? Right. And using the fact that you are on Antiques Roadshow to bolster your reputation right? when you were let go for being shady. And I love that they use the word lured because that's really what they did. Like, oh, we are these professionals. We, we can handle this. We were featured on Antiques Roadshow. Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not cool. Not cool. But let's talk about some things that were cool. So let's talk about the highest appraisals to be made on the show. Oh, yes. So a 1904 Diego Rivera oil painting valued with a retail price of $800,000 to $1 million in 2012. Wow. The painting was reappraised in 2018 to be $1.2 to $2.2 million. Awesome. Amy, you should recognize that name. Diego Rivera? Yeah. I do recognize it. From what? Life. There's an art institute near where we grew up that has a very huge multiple murals of him. Yes. The Detroit Institute of Art. Look at the website. It's really cool. It is super cool. I I was like, do do you think people don't know who Diego Rivera is? But maybe they don't. Obviously, where we grew up, that was a big name. Yes. I mean, I'm sure it's just a big name in general. Well, I was going to say, I feel like he's pretty well known. But we are home to lots of awesome murals from him. We are. Sorry. Carry on. Okay. Next up, a collection of Chinese cups carved from rhinoceros horns believed to date from the 17th or early 18th century was valued at $1 to $1.5 million. Wow. And that was in 2011. Four pieces of Chinese carved jade and celadon ceramic stating to the reign of the Queen Long Empire, so 1736 to 1795, including a large bowl crafted for the emperor, were given a conservative auction estimate of up to $1.07 million by an Asian arts appraiser. However, the item sold at auction for only $494,000. Only. Only, only $494,000. But still, a little disappointing yeah. if you're thinking it's going to be over a million, but... Yes. Well, maybe it was just not the right time, or you didn't find the right dealer. Right. And up next, a trove of 1870s Boston red stockings, now the Atlanta Braves, memorabilia, including player signatures, a rare baseball, and cards, was appraised at $1 million for insurance purposes in New York City on January 5th, 2015. Oh, wow. Let's see... An Alexander Calder Mobile, circa 1950, was appraised in Miami, Florida for $400,000 to $1 million. A 1937 Clifford Still painting, valued at over $500,000, was appraised in 2009. A Norman Rockwell painting was appraised for $500,000 in 2010. In 1971, a Rolex Oyster Daytona Chronograph Chronograph, chronograph, I apologize to those who are following along, <laughs> was valued at 500000 to 700000 in 2020. A Andrew Waith watercolor painting was appraised at 450000 in 2010. So a collection of Charles Schultz Peanuts comic art was appraised at 450000 
All right. Most valuable right there. And in 2001, a mid-19th century Navajo Ute first phase blanket believed to have once been owned by Kit Carlson, I'm sorry, Kit Carson, was valued in between 350000 and 500000 And I think that is the one that you saw, Allie, the Navajo blanket, and it was called a national treasure. Wow, probably then. Maybe. All right, so let's do some fun facts before we wrap up this episode. In 2014, more than 22,000 applied for tickets. Fewer than 50 got in, which means it's only about a 0.2% of people who applied that actually made it on the show that aired. Oh, wow. Yep. One of the most prized collections ever appraised at Roadshow was a series of autographs from every presidential cabinet member spanning George Washington to Franklin Roosevelt. After learning the signatures could bring millions of dollars, the owner did not want it to be on TV. Oh, wow. Interesting. Family Bibles and pictures of Jesus are two of the most commonly seen items because many households had them. Makes sense. For the owners who learn they've hit the antiques jackpot, the show arranges for local police escorts to take them home. And for smaller wins, security guards can walk guests to their cars if they're uncomfortable leaving the show when everyone around them knows what their item is worth. Oh, wow. I was thinking about, yeah, okay, so you hear you now have something that's worth a lot. What are the security measures? Mm-hmm. A $25 garage sale table appraised for more than 500000 at auction. Wow. Wait, a garage, a table? Yes, a $25 garage sale table appraised on the show sold for more than $500,000. Wow, it's a nice table. After a retired New Jersey woman, hold on. Oh, the puppy has fallen asleep, everybody. He's finally behaving. I really do apologize if my audio is awful. Please bear with us for the next couple of episodes. <laughs> there was a game at one time called Appraise It Yourself, where you could play along and appraise the items or guess what you thought the estimate was. Oh, like, they still do it on commercial breaks where they're like, what do you think this one went for? And then they tell you, but like, how did you play? Like you just at home played or like there was like an app. It was several years ago that they started. I think it was in 2016. I was not able to find it. Hmm. Okay. But we might be able to find it for the hundredth hour. We'll think about it. So the last fun fact is that roadshow also always includes a most wanted spotlight which is drawing attention to cases of stolen art and artifacts, such as historic film reels nabbed from the Norman Studios, missing Norman Rockwell illustrations, and Native American objects taken from the, from the Wisconsin Historical Society. Viewers can contact RMW with any leads that they have on these open cases. Like America's Most Wanted, but for antiques. But for antiques. I think that's kind of cool that they're trying their best to help everyone out to find them. Oh, for sure. Uh, but I also think what a great title of Most Wanted. Right. Roadshow's Most Wanted. So here's what I always think about when when I hear that art or artifacts or something of value has been stolen, especially if it's very high profile. Everybody knows that it's gone. Yeah. And I understand there's like a black market and all that stuff. So I get how the person stealing it makes money because they're going to sell it to somebody who wants it. But if you're the person who buys that stolen item, besides just having it privately, what benefit is there to you right, to have it? 
you don't get to display it. You don't get to enjoy it. I mean, I guess unless all your friends are really awful too. Right. You can't just go resell it unless it's another shady dealing. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't get it. Well, maybe there'll be more antique scandal. You'll never know. I won't. Maybe we'll be back with an episode. No, I'm just kidding. There won't be an episode two on Antiques Retro. But if there is Antique Scandal, I will keep you posted. Right. And if anyone has any insight on this black market trading of valuables. Shut it down. Well, I mean, shut it down. But like, I would like to know. Oh, like if someone actually understands how all that works, I would be game. Right. I don't know that they're going to come on our show. You know what I mean? I mean, make a burner Gmail account and email me. And I don't need any information other than, yeah, I, do you just own it? Because you can't have, like, public bragging rights. Be like, oh, I have the Mona Lisa. You can't tell people that. You just secretly you know, go stare at it in your basement? I don't get it. I don't get it. Although, do you know what that makes me think of? Which is, like, the least relevant thing to this topic that we're discussing. What? Do you remember when Hey Arnold, when, like, Helga had, like, a... Oh, the shrine thing of, in her, like a her shrine closet. of him in yeah. the closet. I don't know why, but that's just what I imagine. Yeah, when like, he said, like, are you going to go stare at it? it? Yeah, I don't get it. Well, mysteries will never know. Who knew this would be such a heavy episode? We've got scandal. We've got mystery. We've got shrines, shrines, antiques, American history at its finest. Also, a little bit of British history. I mean, we've covered a lot this evening. We have, we have. This day, whenever you're listening to this, we're filming right now in the evening, filming, recording. This has been a jumbled episode. I'm not going to claim it as my best, but I've had a lot of fun. So thanks for letting me talk at you. Do with that what you will. If you have any comments, corrections, or fun facts of your own, you can email us at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. Spell out all the words. It is our website, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us there. Talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24 Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bambino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified of future episodes. 